How are you doing, V1 Church? Hey, I got a question for you. I'm just checking in. How was the five for five last week? Was it good? Come on, how good was last Sunday? You know what was amazing for me is to see Raina, who really started the worship team with me here. She believed in this vision when our church was brand new. And then to see Erica, who just joined V1 Indiana, flew across country, and uh, she's rocking it out with us. So to see Raina, who started the church with us, and then to see back-to-back Erica, who uh, we're mentoring and pastoring from Indiana here together was just so special. I had the privilege of ministering um, at a very great church called Hungry Gen outside of Seattle, led by Pastor Vlad and Lana. And, you know, it was funny because and I just want to tell you what you're a part of, because I, I feel that many of you may not understand the fullness of it because maybe you just live here and maybe you don't see everything. But did you know that there were six pastors in the region I was in last Sunday who had so many of their leaders and congregants call off and say that they were not going to church because Mike Signorelli and V1's going to be represented outside of Seattle, that six pastors came to me and said, we had to cancel our church services or only do a 9 a.m., and then one of them even chartered buses and brought his church to where I was at. Six churches worth of people under one roof on one Sunday outside of Seattle. Isn't that amazing? And you know, New York is such hard soil and this is not a Christian environment, which is why we have to fight for our right to go to church. Like if you're watching online and you live within a 25 mile radius of this place, I'm actually mad at you because I saw six churches cancel their services to come see me. And it's not about me. It's about what we carry here. And I watched people get delivered and set free and healed for all of that Sunday, which was amazing. They had me preach uh, 12 messages in three days last, this week, this week. And I say that because they put a demand on me. But it was amazing because in our church, we believe in activating and releasing. I have an apostolic gifting primarily. You know, Jesus told the disciples, it's better that I go. And see, for a lot of pastors, they have the mindset because they're narcissistic and egotistical that it's better that they stay. But did you know that the Sunday that I was gone ministering on the other side of the country outside of Seattle, that, that I released over eight communicators to preach the word? And we filled both services up here, both services in Indiana. We had Global Online represented. And I could say like Jesus, when you activate and release people and their gifting, it's better that I go. And so I love being with you guys here, but I just want you to understand when I was in my hotel, because there's a three hour time difference, I was watching these services and I was bawling my eyes out. I was screaming, shouting down Pastor Jocelyn, shouting down Pastor Jewel. I mean, I literally, I came out of the room and one of the people in the hotel was like, hey, are you all right? And I was like, well, I just had a personal Pentecost up in that room. So, you know, I love our church, but other people love our church that go to our church that don't live here and don't. Matter of fact, I was meeting people in Washington state who said, hey, I know I'm here at Hungry Gen today, but I'm actually a V1 person and have a watch party at my house. I met two families from, or three families um, who were a part of our leadership academy last year, and I was able to hug them for the very first time. And so our family, you know, we have Jessica here who's amazing. I baptized her in California in California. You know, I think about how the apostle Paul said, you have many teachers, but you only have one spiritual father. 
And he said that to an entire region, which means that there was no expectation that they were going to have dinner with him or personally know him. But the question was, will you receive from him? And so to the one that you receive from, they become your spiritual father. So if you want a spiritual father, receive from me today, because that's how it works. So how many of you are ready to receive the word? All right, man, it's, you guys are easy to preach to. I'll say, man, okay. Now, we're gonna take a journey through the Bible. I'm gonna end by teaching you a Hebrew word. And so we're gonna go deep today. So I really want you to follow along. This is part three of toxic people. And today is the type of person that we are going to affectionately refer to as the JJ. Now, how many of you know some leeches? How many of you know some tanks? Now, today the question is, do you know a JJ? Jealous and judgmental. Ooh, I'm coming for them. If it's your spouse, just elbow them very discreetly. If it's a person you're sitting next to, you're saying, you might be a JJ. I heard you. <laughs> Jealous and judgmental. Jealous and judgmental. These, these people... Um, you can spot them from a mile away after you see it. Jealous people are incredibly toxic because they have so much self-hate that they can't be happy for anyone around them. They hate themselves more than they hate the things that they're judging. As a matter of fact, they judge everything around them to actually mask their self-hate and to distract you from how much they hate themselves. So they're judgmental and they're jealous because it's rooted in self-hate. And so by bringing down everyone and everything around them, it creates a distraction from the pain inside of them. Oh, this is good. Hey, what'd you think of church today? Yeah, I didn't really like it that much. They, these people are weird. Um, you know, I, that guy, Pastor Mike, everybody thinks he's great. I think he's an idiot. Um, <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, he's just, he had a blazer on it. I don't know what he dressed up for. I, um, we all know he's a loser and, um, you know, they're kind of crazy. They think it's powerful, but it's, it's just loud. It's not powerful. It's just loud. This is how people talk. This is how people talk. You introduce them to your new boyfriend. Hey, what do you think about my boyfriend? Yeah, he, he's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's like they, they, they're very judgmental, but it's also because they're jealous. And the jealousy, it has to be connected to the judgment. And I have to diagnose this for you because usually jealousy comes out in the form of criticism, gossip, and, ju and, and judgment. But the thing about a jealous person is that their judgment is very rarely accurate. So usually when someone tells me their real thoughts about something or something someone transmitted to them by gossip, when I give them the other perspective, they're like, oh, I never, I never thought about that before. I, you know, and usually it's the person who's jealous and judgmental. When they're given their opinion, they present it as if it's the only one that can exist. Those people are dangerous. JJs are dangerous. I want to show you a few things today, but people who are jealous, this is the, I want to give you three things right now. They're jealous. Number one, you could write this down. If you're a note taker, they're jealous of what's inside of you. <laughs> they're jealous of what's inside of you. If they're jealous, they're jealous of what's inside of you. Number two, if they're jealous, they're jealous of who is beside you. <laughs> they're jealous of who's beside you or what's beside you. 
And then number three, if they're jealous, they're jealous of what's in front of you. Jealous people are going to be jealous of what's inside of you. So it's your purpose and potential before it ever comes out. They, they'll be jealous of you before you ever accomplish it. Then they're going to be jealous of what or who's beside you. And then they'll be jealous of what's in front of you. And I'll just say this, jealous people, watch this. You got someone who's tall and bald, who's jealous of someone who's short with a full head of hair. The guy who's short with a full head of hair is like, man, I wish I was tall. The person who's married is looking at the single person saying, I remember what it was like to do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. And the single person's like, I remember what it's like to get a hug and to be, you know. <laughs> can, I, can I just be real? They're jealous of each other. I mean, I remember what it was like to not have kids. And my wife and I, every night was date night. Every night, we used to go rent a VHS video. Do you remember when you had to rent videos? And I'd say, what video? We would walk hand in hand. We were so good at marriage without kids. We were professional. We'd walk hand in hand. We would walk. We'd rent it. What, babe, what do you want to watch? Whatever you want. We know we ain't going to watch the movie anyway, babe. Come on now. Some of you guys are Netflix and chill. We're blockbuster and kick it. Come on now. Come on now. And then... Bella, you were conceived. <laughs> Someone else's kid started crying in the back right on cue. But you always want what you don't have because we used to go to bed when we wanted to, wake up when we wanted to, walk around the house naked. We still do that, but it's, we just tell the kids, stay in your room. Um, but, it, but my point saying that is, but the single people don't want to be single. It's like jealousy. You know, here's the thing. If you're a, a day worker, an employee, you look at an entrepreneur and you say, man, I would love to make my own schedule, right? But then the entrepreneur looks at you and says, I would love to clock out at the same time every day and nobody ever calls me about work after I clock out. So the thing about jealousy is it has nothing to do with you and has everything to do with the person that has made you the object of their jealousy. Does this help somebody? Because a lot of times we think that there's something that we could do about it. I want to show you a very common verse with an uncommon revelation. Genesis chapter 37, verse five through seven. Genesis chapter 37, verse five through seven. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Did you know that the fastest route to being hated is to tell people your dreams, not your problems? It's dangerous telling people your dreams. I want to go to New York and launch a church. You know how many people told me, you're crazy, you're stupid, it's never going to work. They'll hate you. It says that they hated him even more. And when he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed, behold, we are binding sheaves in a field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheep. But here's the question, who gave him this dream? God gave him the dream. So you'll be hated by the thing that you'll be hated by virtue of the thing that God gave you, not the thing you created. This is deep. If you create a dream, and you start telling people about the dream you've created in your own imagination and nobody hates on you for it, you better watch out because that's probably not from God. But you'll, one of the key indicators that the dream you're operating in is from God 
is the level of opposition and hate you'll receive as a result of it. Jesus was hated for his mission on earth. And he said, if they hated me, they're gonna hate you too. Matter of fact, if you're not hated as a Christian, you're probably not preaching the gospel. One of the, listen, you should be wearing hate like a badge of honor, but don't reply to the haters in the comments because the only thing they're good for is the algorithm. <laughs> Let them grow your platforms. Don't diminish yourself by replying. And his brothers were outraged and they said in Genesis 37, 8, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. But how many of you know that the power of life and death is in your tongue? You have to speak your future in alignment with God's will until it comes to pass. But there are some people that are comfortable with you living at the level you're living. And, they, and guess what? When you begin to step into your destiny and prophesy it, you will expose their comfort in their own personal life. And they're jealous of you. They become a JJ, jealous and judgmental, because you pushing past comfort exposes their resignation to comfort. Oh. Like, as soon as, as soon as you start working out and eating right, they can't eat out with you anymore. As soon as you change your habit, you're going to expose theirs. It's a hard thing changing. And I come from the bottom, y'all. I come from a trailer park. I come from poverty. I come from places where you just trying to be what God called you to be will cause you to be hated. Indeed, are you to reign over us? Stop trying to be friends with those that you're supposed to lead. <laughs> Oh man, it's getting quiet in here. Let me just towel myself off. Let me just dab my forehead while you guys just reset your spirit. One of the biggest deterrents to fulfilling what God's called you to do is you trying to be friends with those that God called you to lead. Thank you, Gen Z's. Come near to them. They conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then he will say that a fierce animal, or then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what becomes of his dreams. Yes, we will see. There's some people who have counted, counted you out. There are some people who have counted you down. There are some people that don't think you can do it, but God has a way of raising up underdogs. God, God loves to use the least likely. He loves to use the ones that everybody has counted down and counted out. But when you come into agreement with their words, you receive their prophecies. Oh. When you come into agreement with their words, you accept their prophecies. See, they were prophesying. Oh, here comes the dreamer. They're sarcastic. Why? Because sarcasm is the defense of the weak. Here comes the dreamer. Come on now, let's see. Let's throw him in a pit. Let's rig it so he fails and let's see what comes of his dream. How many of you work in a place where they conspire against you? Oh, they think that they're all that and they're trying to come against you. But see, what it was is this. Joseph received his identity from the identity maker and the brothers had only received their identity from the approval of others. 
And so when Joseph received his identity from the identity maker, God Almighty, he had an infinite source. And so when you live for the approval of people, you've got to get them to clap again, shout again, post, they comment again, like again, heart again, share again. And that is not sustainable. But what is sustainable is saying, God, you've made me, you've called me according to your purposes. And so what you say about me is true. Who you say I am is who I am. And because I have an infinite source of approval through the finished work of Jesus Christ, I don't care whether you clap. I don't care whether you like heart posts or repost. All I know is I'm in service of him. And because I have that, I can accomplish what he called me to. But then they'll be jealous, number two, of what's beside you. Who's beside you? Everybody wants Julie and I's marriage. Nobody wants to pay for a year and a half of marriage counseling. Oh, I wish I had a marriage like theirs. Do you have a counseling budget like ours? <laughs> See, one, it comes with a high cost. Everybody wants for free what comes with a high cost. Everything that you want, according to John Maxwell, is uphill. Everything good in life is uphill. It requires going uphill. Everything that will destroy you and is easy is downhill, right? Watch this. If you want a good marriage, it's uphill. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to. And people say, they're my soulmate. That might be true. They may be your soulmate, but you're broken. You're damaged. You're, you, you've been uh, traumatized by life. And so guess what? They may very well be your soulmate, but you have to become each other's soulmate. You have to grow together. Everybody wants something, but you've, it's all uphill. So if you're jealous, don't be jealous for that which you are not willing to work for. Because God's ways are better. If God gave you all the money you think you need without the process to build your character, you would lose all the money and your soul. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose their soul? So then it's not as cruel when the church asks you to give money because we're teaching you generosity so that when you become abundantly wealthy, you're not stingy. What if I was training you for reigning? What if I was training you to sustain it? What if, if, what if God is actually training you so that when you receive what he promised to you, you keep it? <laughs> I'm doing surgery right now. The apostle Paul, he writes to the Corinthians. So there's a region, Cor Corinth. How many of you want to know your biblical history? Can I take you deeper? I'm taking you in. We started in the shallow end. We're going to end up in the deep end. Come on, swim with me. Are you guys ready? The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. He says this, You are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So he shows up to the church of Corinth and he's saying, you are saved. You're Christians now, but you are of the flesh. Can I just tell you, this is a call up, not a call out. I'm not calling you out. I'm calling up. Stop being of the flesh. When you're of the flesh, the, it's simply saying your life is ruled by that which you see with your own two physical eyes. 
I see my car. I don't like my car. I want a better car. I see my house. I don't like where I live. I want a better one. And I, I see my spouse. I don't like my spouse. I want a better one. I see the people I'm swiping through. I want all of them. I see, see when, when you are being controlled by only that which you see with your physical eyes, you are of the flesh. And I've met too many Christians that are of the flesh of the flesh. The Bible says that we don't see that which is temporal, but we see in the unseen realm because that is what you see eternal. And so God wants to show us to look into the eternal realm, to see by faith, to see the things that we don't see with the natural eyes. With the physical eyes, you see your body sick, but with your spiritual eyes, you see access to supernatural healing. With the physical eyes, you see a region like Long Island where nobody goes to church, nobody gives to church, nobody believes in God, but I see revival wells being dug up and living water in this region. I see God moving. If you only see with your physical eyes, you do not see all there is to see. If you only see what you can see, you do not see all there is to see. There's an unseen realm. And Paul was saying, you must look into the unseen realm. You must not be fleshly. But then what he says is, who's beside you? There's jealousy about who's beside you. And so we, we talked about marriage. We talked about that thing. But here's another one. He says, one of you say, I follow Paul. And the other says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human of the flesh? What does that mean? This is what Christians do. And it's disgusting to me. Well, I listen to John Piper and Tim Keller. I listen to Spurgeon. Oh, no, no. I listen, no, I listen to T.D. Jakes and I listen to Stephen Furtick. This is what the church of Corinth was doing. They were attaching their identity in the flesh to communicators and making themselves look good by identifying with a certain camp. And that is fleshly and carnal and it turns into demonic. And so what Paul showed up and says, no, 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 we don't follow Spurgeon. We don't follow Tim Keller and the gospel coalition. We don't follow the charismatic or the word of faith movement. Paul said, don't even follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. We're not Apollos people. We're Jesus people. And so here at this church, if you're going to try to elevate your fragile ego to say, well, I listen to these preachers because I'm smart. Well, guess what? He'll raise up a fool to confound you because God will come on. He can impart wisdom and knowledge and revelation. And I see a pride and a haughtiness of jealousy of who's beside you. You think that Spurgeon, you think that C.S. Lewis, you think that the Gospel Coalition makes me intellectual, gives me an identity. No, my identity is found in him. You think that listening to the Word of Faith movement and, oh, I'm a Kenneth Copeland guy. Oh, I'm a John G. Lake guy. I'm a Smith Wigglesworth. Do you think that Smith Wigglesworth gives me resurrection power? They didn't die for me. Jesus died for me. I find my identity in Christ and Christ alone. And V1 Church, follow me as I follow Jesus and don't make a division unify over Jesus. Stop being jealous about who's beside you. I felt called to set the record straight. We are not gonna divide over our, over our preferences to speakers that feed our fragile ego. Because if you are spiritual, then you associate with the word of faith, the charismatic movement, the Pentecostals, you will turn into a warlock or a witch 
because Satan will give you counterfeit power to be spiritual like you want. And if you associate with the gospel coalition and all the intellectuals, then you will end up in pride and arrogance because then your ego will be found in that place. And either way, you received a counterfeit destiny because your jealousy turned into judgment. And what if the people on the intellectual need to learn how to bypass their mind every once in a while and let their spirit step into resurrection power? But then what if some of the people on one side of the, on the, on the charismatic Pentecostal sometimes need to say that we have a mind for a reason and we must be able to intelligently defend our faith and they stand in this room. What if both have the answer, but neither one of them have all of it? But see, jealousy produces judgment and then judgment restricts you from revelation. I'm, I'm telling you, this is an apostolic message. I'm setting it right in the body of Christ. We're Jesus people. We're Jesus people. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 22. Now watch this. It's going to blow your mind. Every time I do a marriage, I read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. But that wasn't written for marriages. You know who it's written to? a whole bunch of judgmental, prideful believers in the church of Corinth. And he said, I know you're picking sides of who's your teacher, who's your special preacher, but you forgot love is patient. Love is kind. I have to put it in context for you now. Love does not boast. It doesn't boast and puff itself up in its special knowledge. You started to step out of the boundaries of love to make your preferences and you're jealous and you're preferential and it, it's not my way. Doesn't that redefine 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when you know who he was talking to? Isn't this good? Check. Are you glad I brought the meat? Lastly, number three, what's in front of you? They will be jealous of what's in front of you. I think when I go through scripture about a man, named, a man named Saul, Saul was the king. He had everything. He had everything. And anything that his heart desired would be given to him on demand. So he didn't have to, he, if he thought it, he could have it. If he thought it, he could have it. That was his reality. And then it says this. I'm going to take you to 1 Samuel chapter 18. The men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine. The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and they had tambourines and they had guitars. And they danced and they sang, hey, King Saul's killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. But watch this. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have discredited, or they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What can he have but the kingdom? I just want to stop there, though. Saul was jealous. Isn't this crazy? Saul has as many women as he wants. Saul has all the riches of the kingdom. He's the richest person in Israel. He has all the influence you can what? But a poor shepherd boy, he was jealous of him. If you think that you can get enough to stop your jealousy... If you're single and you think, if I finally have my own husband, I won't be jealous of someone else. No, no, no. It doesn't stop with getting. Jealousy does not stop with getting. Matter of fact, jealousy is fed by getting. Because jealousy is something defective in your soul. 
It has nothing to do with your possessions. And the judgment that was produced by this is he said, well, what's David gonna get, the whole kingdom? But see, I wanna do a compare and contrast between David, I'm sorry, Saul, and the prophet Samuel. See, the prophet Samuel showed up and all the brothers were lined up in the house of Benjamin. And he said, wait a second, wait a second. I'm looking at these guys. There's gotta be another. There's gotta be another. And he brought him out. He poured the anointing on him and said, you're gonna receive the whole kingdom. Can you imagine for a second, I want you to hear the story different. What if King Saul, instead of fighting against David, instead of restricting David, instead of gossiping and judging David, what if King Saul would have gotten a prophetic word from God like Samuel? What if he would have said, wait a second, I know I have my, my son Jonathan, and my, my son Jonathan is the, the crown prince, meaning he should receive the kingdom, but what if it's David? And what if, what if he would have said, Jonathan, I need to have a talk with you, I know you're my son, and I know that you're supposed to be crowned king, but the Lord spoke to me, and you know that poor shepherd boy? You know that one who killed Goliath? We gotta help him. You see the, we gotta help him. He needs our help. I, Jonathan, I'm your dad, I'm trying to lead you. What if Saul had that posture? I, I, I'm trying to lead you. I know that you probably have a lot of expectations to be king, but it's not for you, son. The, the anointing's transferring to David. How do we get in alignment with God's will? How many churches have you been to where position has been given to the wrong person because a Saul is leading it that wants to give it to Jonathan when it should be given to David? And how many of you are wounded Davids that never had somebody believe in you because they were jealous of you? And how many of you had, come on, I, yeah, I feel the anointing breaking loose. What would have happened if somebody would have had to have the heart in that moment? Watch this, this is so sad. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 28, it says, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and remained his enemy the rest of his days. Eventually, Saul did get the prophetic utterance, but it produced fear because his heart wasn't right. I want you to look at me. This sermon is preparing you for your destiny. Because God is going to bring people into your life who are greater than you. And if you don't get healed by the time this sermon is up, you're gonna become afraid of those who are there to help you. You're gonna compete with those who are there to release you. You're gonna push them away some of you keep saying, the right person hasn't come. No, 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 they're the right person. You're not the right person yet. And you can't see it because you're looking through wounded eyes. But right now, this is preparing you. Don't be a Saul. Don't compete because you see what's in front of somebody else. As a matter of fact, the first step to fulfilling your destiny is to help others fulfill theirs. That's it. I've told you the secret. Would you stand to your feet? I'm gonna tell you how to get free from jealousy in three minutes, are you ready? I'm gonna tell you, in three minutes, you're gonna get free from jealousy and I wanna tell you how. Are you ready? There's a Hebrew word. This Hebrew word is kana. Say kana. 
Kana means to be jealous because there's one more form of jealousy I haven't told you about and it's righteous jealousy because God several times in scripture declares I am a jealous God and so if you spent the entire time Pastor Mike trying to convince us that jealousy is not of God what do you do with the jealousy of God and so I want to tell you about the Hebrew word Kana say Kana it means to be jealous, but if you study the word deeper, it means to be passionate and to burn with passion. And so what he's saying, I'm going to give you two ways to be free from jealousy. Number one is stop comparing yourself to others. Burn with passion for Jesus Christ. And the more passion you ignite yourself with and you say, God, you're a jealous God and I'm jealous for you, God. I want you to pay attention to me more than any of your other children. I want you to set your eyes upon me. I'm going to be found burning with zeal, burning with passion. I can't care about their business. I'm burning with passion for my business. I, I can't care about their single celibate season, but I'm burning with with passion to be single and celibate like Jesus. I can't care about their marriage because I'm burning with seal and passion for my marriage. I have to believe that you gave them for a reason, God. I'm not comparing anymore. But here's the second way. The second way. Somebody say Kana. This is the Hebrew word for jealousy. It means to burn with seal. Then you say, God, I want to get a revelation of your jealousy. And here's what it is. Whenever we compare God to any other thing, any other experience or any other person, he becomes jealous. When he watches you drowning your sorrows in alcohol, he becomes jealous because he wants you to receive the new wine of the Holy Spirit and you'll never wake up hungover. There'll be no consequences for drunkenness in the Holy Ghost except for promotion and provision and the next level. And he's a jealous God because he says, if you will get high with the most high, you will receive something in my spirit. And that's how you get free from jealousy of man is you receive the jealousy of God and when he sees you trying to accept love from a person he says I'm a jealous God because I want to pour my love out inside of your broken vessel but it won't leak out because he'll feel every single crack he'll restore every single wounded part of you and to be free from the jealousy of man is to receive the jealousy of God the kana to say God you're a jealous God nothing can compare to your ways nothing can compare to who you are ah I received this breakthrough is there somebody else who says God I want to receive what you have for me come on just lift your hands he's pouring out his spirit He's been jealous. Why would you go to porn? I've got so much better. I'm a jealous God. I got, oh, somebody. Somebody receive it. He's a jealous God. He's a jealous God. Why have you accepted the counterfeit? I want the real thing. Come on, I just want us to worship. The altars are open. If you want to come, you can receive prayer now. Come on, he's not going to let you down.